frightened. You're damn right I'm frightened. It's natural. You don't know what's happening to you, but there's nothing to be frightened of. As long as you put your faith in me, give me time, trust me, trust you. I did trust you, and look what happened. It's a bruise. It will fade. I know it's a bruise. Look, I'm going to ask you one more time. What have you done to me? I've given you something you never dared dream of. What? Everlasting life. I'm Jay. You're listening to Host of Horrors, show where we discuss and review horror films based off of predetermined themes of the month. Jay. Well then, we finally have something for the sapphics. Someone for the women who love women. Mm-hmm. And blood and, and all that good stuff. And David Bowie. Oh yeah, and David Bowie. Even though there's not much David Bowie. There's about half David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> so... This time we're talking about 1983's The Hungers, starring Susan Sarandon, David Bowie, and a lady who I love as an actress, but do not remember her name at all. Catherine Deneuve. Catherine Deneuve. You know, this is only the second Catherine Deneuve movie I've ever watched. <gasps> yeah, shocker. Shocker. The first one was Dancer in the Dark with Bjork. What about Tony Scott? Nope. What? Yeah, it was directed by Tony Scott, who is better known as uh, Mr. Ridley's little brother. Mr. Ridley's little brother? Yeah, Ridley Scott. What? Yeah, this is Ridley Scott's brother. Oh my god. Have you seen any of his other movies? No, wait, I probably haven't even know it. Uh, True Romance, Uh, Man on Fire, I love True Romance, Top Gun, Deja Vu, Wait a minute, Unstoppable, Enemy of the State. Tony Scott is out here. Wait, he's the one that uh, that he died, didn't he? Yeah, in 2012. Okay, okay. And Maverick was dedicated to Tom to uh, Tony Scott. So, oh my God, I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, you know, well, I, now you know, and knowing it, is half the battle. But you know what, though, I realize I'm not really like I don't really follow like just blockbusters like uh, directors because he feels like. Tony Scott does a lot of blockbusters. I don't know. He did a lot of shit with De- uh, Denzel Washington. Wait, did he do Training Day? No, he did. Uh, no, that was um, um, Fouquet. And, Antoine oh, and Fouquet. Fouquet. Yeah. Tell me the one that yelled at you. Yeah, he yelled at me. But in a good way. <laughs> uh, you know, Fouquet did um, Training Day. No, he did, um, again, Man on Fire, Deja mm. Vu, um, Unstoppable. Unstoppable was really good. So, yeah. Okay, okay. So we have a a very very well known um, director. Mm-hmm. Is this like one of his early? I'm assuming this is one of his earliest films because uh, didn't Top Gun come after this? I have no idea. Let's see what. Top when did Gun. this come out? 1983. So The Hunger came out in 1986. Yeah. So um, Tony Scott is not a uh, a stranger to queer material. <laughs> Even though this one feels a little bit more direct than the later Top Gun. Yeah, Top Gun, I feel like a lot of straight people refuse to see the gay context. There is a lot of it, and no one sees it, uh, but, you know, Tom Cruise, yay. Uh. (laughs) More importantly, Val Kilmer, yay. Mm. Mm, Good stuff, good stuff. (laughs) 
Good soup, as they say. Good soup. So let's talk about it. I I found myself very confused by this movie. Just like upon like right like right after the credits started rolling, I was like, what the heck just happened? Yeah, the, <laughs> the ending to this film is very confusing. There's a but it kind of you know what this reminds me? So it this film and its aesthetic is probably the most beautiful horror film I've ever seen. Like just just based off those like aesthetics alone. It's very beautiful, if not like gothically beautiful. It reminds me of uh uh Jalo films without the color. Mm. You know, it honestly reminds me of like the aesthetics remind me of a later film that I feel like like uh, this film was influenced by Death by Temptation. When it comes to, like certain like I feel like just the certain aesthetics is just like with the wispy, like very uh grandiose like sets and all of that. Do you think yeah. John Woo was inspired by this movie? I think so. There's a oh. lot of pigeons in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of I feel I can see a lot of influence in the hunger. That's kind of what I'm seeing because, like, I'm seeing elements of this film that are just all over other films that are like either deal with vampires or deal with just very like gothic style, um, just settings. And I can see, I can see where the influence of this film comes into play. Yeah, in the dose. Also, the the way this film is shot, like as far or not shot, but maybe edited. Uh, the way the scenes are edited and everything, it's almost like you're watching a montage. (laughs) It's like you're watching an hour and a half long montage. And you do realize even Rocky had a montage. (laughs) This is like like a full feature length montage is what it it just, (laughs) it's so (laughs) neck breaking. It's scene after scene after scene after scene, lesbian sex, scene after scene. (laughs) No, yeah, so basically... Just going into this film, I went into this completely blind because I've never seen The Hunger. And already, it's just like very, just like bam, 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 just very sexual, very like almost like it's this felt like something like beginning felt like a music video, mm-hmm. like the cure, something the cure would do or something like that. So it was like very just like in your face about a lot of uh, like a lot of stuff and just like with the nice extended just david bowie just like intro with him and just being his charismatic sexy self you're just like okay you'd expect to be a lot more david bowie but But there, there is though like i feel like there's not a lot of david bowie only because you do focus a little bit on Susan Sarandon in the beginning, mm. even though you can split this movie in two parts. So the first part is David Bowie, and he is with um, Catherine's uh, character, who is... The Blaylocks. Yeah, the Blaylocks. Uh, Miriam. Miriam. Miriam and John, and John. So Blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so essentially what is happening is they're both vampires. However, one day, John realizes that he is aging rapidly. And I mean fucking rapidly. Like, he turns into a fucking bag of bones in, like, a day. Um, Meanwhile, it seems like there is a scientific uh, experiment that uh, Sarah 
Roberts, she's, uh, she's kind of spearhead. Yeah, she's trying to unlock essentially vampire uh, vampirism. Even uh, even Mir- his, yeah. yeah, even Miriam's like, yeah, what you're doing, I can give to you in an instant. But so essentially, but John finds out that this is he's not the first one. So when they were first, when he first met Miriam, she promised him everlasting life and that he would never age and that they would be together forever. Well, come to find out that was a lie. Um, tests show that that is false. Mm. And he is aging rapidly just like all her past lovers have, which she keeps almost in like this weird little trophy uh, situation up in the attic where it's just like a line of coffins full of all her past lovers who, which this is probably the scariest thing in the film. They turn into mummies and it is explained that they don't die like normal humans, vampires where humans die and they decay to dust, no longer Mm -hmm. existing. Vampires continue to think, continue to hear, see, feel everything. They basically continue to live. Even even though though they're nothing but a a husk at that point. That is terrifying. Absolutely horrible. That means technically in this world, if you're a vampire or if you have like some form of vampirism, that means you're basically sitting as a pile of dust, but a sentient pile of dust in the ground possibly because if they didn't know about any of this but that is scary as shit to me it also seems like it only happens to those that are converted into a vampire rather than being i guess born or created a vampire it does not really explained but but miriam doesn't age miriam yeah but it feels like miriam is the it's almost like the queen bee. But again, that, yeah. that would make sense that she is a natural vampire mm-hmm. where the others are uh, like the the blood thing that Sarah's got going on with her is uh, you got the two bloods fighting for dominance. Well, it seems like at a certain point, the dominant blood, which would be the vampire blood, cease to exist and then your human blood takes over. Well, at that point, your human blood has years and years of years to catch up within a day. Is how I'm kind of seeing it. And that's what happens to poor Mr. Bowie. And it, like, before he even turns into a husk, before she even puts him in the coffin, she's already got eyes on little Miss Sarah, played by Susan Sarandon. And that went extremely quickly, too, because you can tell, honestly, yeah, about halfway through that from. David Bowie, like from John Blaylock existence in the film, you can kind of split that into like two the two different halves of the film. The John Blaylock half and the Sarah Roberts half. Yeah. Even though John Blaylock was trying to actively basically like figure out what the heck is going on. And her study with the monkeys about how like was it about like sleep and like like how your blood basically your blood type basically 
blood predicts your like how you sleep and how you age based off all of that. Yeah, blood determines how you sleep. How you sleep determines how you age. Mm. And they're trying to prove that there is such a thing as an internal clock and that it can be manipulated. Basically, almost trying to cause like you know immortality to happen in a way if you think about it for like a long period of time. Yeah, which I think is like is I can see where the study is groundbreaking but it seems like in the wrong hands that can turn into like a whole cluster well yeah and imagine hitler living for 130 years no no i don't (laughs) want to even go back that far but i'm just saying like i mean i say hitler but there's been plenty of fucking monsters like hitler past hitler Mm -hmm. so just imagine someone like him getting a serum like this that would be no bueno no bueno no bueno no good at all and as the first half of the movie is playing, I was like, huh, that's a very scientific way of explaining vampirism to somebody who's watching this. I was like, I was kind of impressed with the way that they were able to just explain that yeah. aspect. I was like, okay, to people who are just not really into the supernatural shit, which is weird because they're watching this movie, it's a very, very, like, almost like, normalized way of being like oh this is how vampirism technically works in a real world setting so i i I appreciated that a lot yeah but uh so yeah john is out of the picture he is rotting away in a coffin and Mm. miriam goes you know what i need a new plaything," and she goes after sarah and she essentially um mind rapes her and I mean that's that's the best I can describe it because she forcefully makes it to where Sarah can think of nothing other than Miriam, wants nothing other than Miriam, and she forces vampirism onto her. No consent whatsoever. Boom, you're a vampire. Boom, you have to drink blood to survive. To survive. Boom, you are now mine. No consent whatsoever. At least with John, at least with Mr. Bowie, it looked like she, you know, there was consent there. I don't there, know. There I feel like there. I feel like there's some Stockholm syndrome there. Yeah. No. Um, well, no. I I don't even think Sarah like naturally. No, I meant with John. No, because you you saw the whole they they were like there was a romance there before he was turned. Mm. So there there was no Stockholm syndrome whatsoever. I didn't get that. Uh, mm. But with Sarah, no. Sarah was complete. Just like. If you took the mind games out, I don't think she would have been attracted to Miriam whatsoever. That was forced. I don't, man. I don't know the way that that first scene made it made it look. Whenever they first interact, it almost possibly would have been like, "Oh, Miss Girl is smitten." Like, <laughs> <laughs> like Sarah unlocked her queer awakening. In the face of... She opened her queer eye. <laughs> she opened her queer eye in the face of Miriam's presence. And then all she can all she can think about is women. And I'm like, oh, Tom. Mr. Tom. Yeah, poor Tom. He did kind of... He... I don't know. It felt like he kind of came off as a jerk. But, like, kind of a caring jerk. He came off as a reasonable jerk. Yeah. Because... Throughout the entire film, he doesn't seem like a jerk. He doesn't get this way until 
he and uh, Sarah go out to dinner, and they're and they're kind of, they're together. They're living together. Mm-hmm. They're not husband and wife, I don't think, but they are living together. So they are. No, they're. Uh, I think they're just like dating yeah. in a so, serious but, in a serious relationship. Yeah. But um, so she goes to speak to Miriam for three and a half hours, and when he takes her back to dinner, she can't eat. Um, is off in space thinking about other things, and he's just like. Okay, something's up. And he's polite at first. He does go, okay, what's wrong? And she says, nothing. Well, now you're lying to me, so what the hell's going on? And he starts, you know, hammering in some facts. And she's Mm. like, man, fuck them facts. And, yeah, so he does come across as a jerk, but it's understandable. She said, I love women. (laughs) I like women, Tom. I love women. And I feel like it's also the juxtaposition of the scene itself because wasn't is it looks like the restaurant takes place in an area where the there's a swimming pool as well i don't know the, the geography of this movie is weird the geography the spatial awareness of this film possibly in an intentional way was very just all over the place because i was wondering it's like how i was wondering one how big is the Blaylock's place. Two, how big is the doggone hospital? Three, how is it that, like, all you see is the least two or three possibly naked ladies in a swimming pool, swimming while you're eating dinner, and possibly above a fancy, fancy hotel? I'm kind of like, uh, uh, I don't know. Like, 1980s... Well, New York is weird because I'm assuming this is New York. They never explicitly no, it, no, talk. It's New York. Yeah, 1980s New York is weird, but it's also like that spatial awareness like kind of messed me. I was like, is it that you're you just like I got I got the gay blood now? Like how? I mean, shit. Not gonna lie, with Cat uh, Catherine Deneuve, I'll probably be the same. Yeah, I'm yeah, gonna lie. I, I would. <laughs> and Susan Susan at this time, I'm like. Oh yeah, no, I, those, I see those it. eyes could pierce through a soul in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, uh, <laughs> I was not expecting to it. see titties, but I was glad I saw those titties. <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. But I, I should have known it was going to go like that way because we saw titties within like maybe five minutes. Yeah, but those were like no name actress titties. These are like. They they they're top billing titties. Yeah, and and you hardly ever see top billing titties. Yeah, you're right. I just kind of wonder just the logistics of this film is like how much did they pay Susan Sarandon to be like, all right, you're gonna have a lot of nude scenes, but you're gonna be hot, and I'm like, and you're gonna be a vampire too, and you're also gonna look nasty towards the end. I don't know. Even with her looking like nasty. Dude, they like mm, the, the sweat effects. There are quite a few times where it looks like they just took a bucket of water, threw it on her, and was like, "Yep, looks like you sweat." <laughs> it was just a little mist, <laughs> just a little mist. I um, really, I think I did enjoy, like, just seeing how, like, how science versus the supernatural just kind of collided in such a honestly kind of a fast way because this whole movie felt very like breakneck. Like pacing wise, because like this all took place within maybe like 
three, four days, if that. Like, it did. this does not take long. The, like, in the world of, like, regular world, this does not take that much time at all. No. Like, it's almost kind yeah, of... It was, it's also a very intoxicating film. Where, like, I feel like some movies that would have, like, a, a story like this, it could very easily be long, drawn out, boring... I was captivated the entire time watching this film. I mean, I was I was in that shit. Like like I said, it's very intoxicating. It's like you're not it, it's not like adrenaline rush kind of feeling where like, you know, like you go to the the movies and you see like a a, a major blockbuster and like, "Oh hell yeah, I can't wait for the next action scene." This is just more like a slow, nuanced film. But it's not boring whatsoever. You're just from beginning to end. When you hear Bella Lugosi's dead, you're captivated. You're you're like, all right, I'm sold. You got my ticket. I'm here. This is a nice slow burn. Like this is a good slow burn of a film. Like I, I knew there's gonna be parts where it's like it's gonna just creep on you, but the parts that creep on you make it to where the impactful parts were just in your face, very very just in your face very just it's giving i'm trying to find the word for it i like intoxicating but it the world yeah i was having a a hard time trying to figure out another word other than intoxicating. the world is just like it feels like you're drinking that sherry (laughs) that uh miriam gave sarah that's what it feels like it feels like you're not drugged, but you're under the influence of this film. And there's a weird classic timelessness of this film that I can't, I can't really wrap my head around. I was like, this feels both 1980s, but at the same time, it feels very timeless. Like this movie can take place in 2022 and it can still feel like the same film. It's like, it's like a film that is set in a different world that just mirrors our own. Like it, we're in the upside down. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, no, like y- you watch it and you can clearly tell, okay, this is New York. This is how things work. The detective, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you could watch it and easily go, oh, this is, this is like its own unique thing. It, it's like a parallel universe. It's very grounded, but yet very mystic in its presentation aesthetics. And just the way that the story unfolds, it does feel both that they're trying to give you a grounded kind of film, but everything else, like once you go inside the the space, you're just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And yeah, uh, that's the set design, the production design, and the editing is just top notch. I think, of course, is really great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some parts where I, I just, I felt so like crap about because. My girl Alice did not deserve to die the way that she did. Like I was, I was like really sad about that. I was like, "Bruh, why did you have to get her like that? Like that was no point. That was no reason." Uh, and it didn't even help. Like it didn't even help didn't whatsoever. Do, but like, it was all for naught. Like he kills this sweet, innocent little girl who just so happens to be taking violin lessons by the Braylocks, and and she. Fucking John is aging rapidly. I get it. You're desperate. Yada, yada, yada. And he's like, you know what? Maybe if I drink a little bit of blood, I'll be fine. Mm. Why did you have to pick Alice, dude? You had a whole fucking elevator of people. 
<laughs> like, I get it. You don't want to get, you know, caught by the cops or whatever. Fuck that shit. You're going to die. You're going to, you're going to, well, not die, but you're going to grow old. So it's not like it really fucking matters anymore. Just, just, I don't know. It feels like the obsession with the youth, with just like youth in general, kind of drive a lot of the anticipation, the motives of this film. And I get it. Cause even in 2022, there is still a little obsession with like everything is done. Everything is done while you're young. Beauty is the ultimate form. And while there's a scientific explanation for the aging that happens and the vampirism that tries to just basically delay the inevitable, it feels like, yeah, you can do anything you want as long as you're beautiful. And I feel like that's how Captain Deneuve's character, how Marion basically managed to get away with so much things for some a long time as evidence in like the whenever um sarah first comes to her place i'll talk about all the different kinds of artifacts that scene a lot of them almost dating back two thousand years and the bus that looks conspicuously like her from 500 years ago it's like she's been doing this for a while and it just feels like that and another thing that kind of adds on to that it feels like with the Egyptian influence in, the, in this film and the quick shot of what looks like I'm assuming to be Cleopatra and a slave and repeat and having that poem, that love song with a Lemic Lemic. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't, I can't remember the name, but with that love song being played, that was sung by two women also kind of adds on to that as well it's like it's very gay but also very just like vampirism gay egyptian influence cleopatra's there somewhere i I feel it so there's a lot i have a theory theory you say so the egyptian lit flashback that we saw Mm -hmm. that was miriam oh the song miriam wrote that really I can I can see it because considering that I'm pretty sure with Miriam, it is this film assumes that she's been around for a very 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 long time. Well, okay, so, so count, I can see that. Count the number of mummies to, at the end of the film. Uh, I don't know, like there's at least probably close to ten. Let's just say ten. Uh, Mr. David Bowie, they were wearing some frou frou sh- shit, like the the puffy shirts and then the the you know the hair and the shit like that. So I'm gonna say probably anywhere from the uh, 16, 1700s. Mm. So that means give it about four hundred years. Uh, that's when you start aging and turning into a mummy. That may seem like a long fucking time, because for us, that is a long fucking time. Mm-hmm. But for a vampire, that's not that fucking long. There's a lot of 400 years that could be going on in, in, in centuries. There's a lot that can happen in 400 years. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, saying, I'm probably going to say that possibly when humans were created, so were vampires, so vampires have been around since the humans, and then you got the Miriams, and the Miriams has been around since the dawn of humans, and, you know, shit's been going on. Do you feel like, with John, that 
his blood just kind of mixed differently in a way where his time kind of came early? No. I think, or do you I, feel like it's all the same? I think it's all the same because, I mean, he obviously found out or knew about the others. He, so he knew it was coming. Like it, and it's it's obviously happened before. So was it what? Lo- was it one of the other ones like Loita or Leota? Leo, no, oh, not Leota. Le- Rest in peace, uh, Ray Leota. By the way, oh, don't make me think of that. But with the previous relationship she was in, which I'm pretty sure was with a woman before. I think she's been with several women. She, I think she's been with several people. I mean, even when you look at David Bowie, he he's spe- like. Uh, he he kind of resembles a whammon. Like, he, he's a very pretty man. Very, No, very you know man. who he re- resembles, which I'm pretty sure is another another aspect of this film's influence? This exact outfit that he wore reminds me of Yoshikage Kira from part four of JoJo. I feel like that's where I feel like that's where uh, Kira's influence came from is David Bowie in this that exact outfit because that outfit looks extremely similar, suit and all. <laughs> I I had to get it out the way because I knew it was gonna eat me if I didn't. <laughs> You can't say anything, Mr. One Piece Stan. One Piece is great. JoJo's great, too. JoJo's pretty good. Okay. Um, I have nothing else to say. The ending of the film confused me. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so, 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 so. I feel like with the third act of the film, that's where it kind of fell flat for me, too, because... I was, like, getting into it. I was like, hey, like, it's about to be a little show-off between, like, the two girlies. After, like, one of them successfully tries to win. And, actually, I want to talk about that. Because one part that confused me, which I feel like probably was theorized. So, I think that the curse, like, something had to be broken the minute that Sarah sacrificed herself. Because that was pretty much what it came off as. Like, she sacrificed herself in order to break the cycle that the that Miriam had on her. Break the chain that Miriam had on her. Which, I think, possibly led to Miriam and all the mummies coming up and basically being like, what the heck? And revolting against her and causing her to fall to her death and to her oldness and you know, basically become one of them. But I feel like ultimately, while she sacrificed herself, she didn't die because, you know, vampirism, the blood kind of, I think, took over her officially. And that's why we see her scar included because there was a little scar on that on that side of the neck at the very last frame of her before she cuts off to that very wide frame. Um, I feel like the blood... That basically like took over her after um, that chain was broken, so to speak. I don't know how much that reads, but I that's kind of what I thought of as I was thinking about that last scene. The movie should have ended with Miriam saying to Sarah that you're mine, 
kissing her and then like holding her softly and then you turn like the camera turns to reveal sarah's face and she's just like tearing up end of movie right there villain wins terrible tragic shakespearean ending instead we get miriam or sarah stabbing herself um essentially sacrificing herself and this is the only reason i like i can get where you're coming from but nothing happened she she stabbed herself and nothing happened miriam said she takes her up to the the attic and is like okay I'm going to let you be with these people. I'm sad now, but I'm going to go find a new person. And then all of a sudden, the mummies, who hadn't been up for centuries probably, are all of a sudden getting up and it's like, you bitch. I feel like it's because it's a different kind of... It was a different kind of death or a different kind of way that led to this point right up with John. Probably John, that was more natural. Wouldn't it have happened right off the bat, though? Why why wait until you know she carries her body up to the attic? Why wait till that then? Was, it was probably boiling up from that moment. No, but boiling up from what? What the mummies were just sitting up there and it was like, God damn, I really hope someone kills themselves tonight. I can see that being kind of a flaw. That's a flaw in the film. Yeah, because it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. The mummies start attacking Miriam. There's a guy off off camera throwing pigeons at her. Oh, my God. No, like, <laughs> real shit. She's, like, <laughs> she's getting oh attacked by the mummies, and then all of a sudden, just pigeons are being pelted at her face. They're not flying in the scene. They're literally, it looks like they're being tossed at her. You mean she is giving her best tipehedron <laughs> uh, impression? And with then, the way that she looks. And then they push her down the stairs and she starts having like a fucking seizure and ages out of nowhere. And then Sarah's not dead. She's still alive. Miriam's technically not dead. She's uh, just been mummified. So like... I think did, the did, cycle just kind of continues. Did Sarah... Possibly. Like wh- all of it which, was... Which necklace did Sarah stab herself with? Was it the one that she got from John, or was it the one Miriam was wearing? I think it's... No, 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 no. She got one from Miriam. No, she got one from Miriam, Mm -hmm. yes. And that was the one that uh, John had before. Mm. Which one did she stab herself with? Was it the one she had, or was it the one Miriam was wearing? Because if it's the one Miriam's wearing, theory time. I think it was. Theory time, theory time. Vampirism is actually a curse, an Egyptian curse. The one wearing the 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 prominent necklace, the one that the ankh, the prominent yeah, the ankh, the, uh, the, uh, the one that's wearing that is 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 the the controller is the the main head bitch, the main vampire. The other one's the one that's going to age. If Sarah stabbed herself with the one that Miriam had. And is now holding it, and Miriam no longer has it, but now Sarah does. That would mean that it would make sense that Miriam would age now because she is the victim of the curse, not the cursee. I or like that theory, and I'm kind of going to go with it because it's I want to say get. I can't even remember much of the frame. Not I'll have lie. to watch it again. But I'm pretty sure you're correct on that. I, I was. It, it's like if Sonic gave you 13 straws, I just punched the bag and grabbed one. <laughs> yeah. 
But it kind of makes sense because of the obvious Egyptian influence that this that this film has, and is also kind of used as partially an explanation in some aspects of why a lot of the film happens. And even if it's like very just like vague and kind of amorphous the way that they explain it, I can see that. And honestly, I feel like if that theory holds, then it kind of elevates the film, in my opinion, to a better, to a higher, like, you know, playing field. Because that's very smart. This is clever. Yeah, it's kind of the same. So remember Spiral, where (laughs) Spiral, it asked you to make a lot of assumptions and um, a lot. You basically had to guess things for yourself I thought to I make could it make forget sense. forget about that film. I yeah. But where and, and this film does the same thing. This film makes you think and guess for yourself. However, Spiral makes you do it because it was poorly written. This makes you do it because I honestly think it's smartly written. I think a lot of it is left to the imagination and left up to interpretation on purpose. I think it withholds information for you as the viewer to theorize yourself. And honestly, sitting here talking about the movie makes the movie a lot more entertaining than actually fucking watching it. Even even though I enjoyed it. I thought this was a pretty good movie. I liked it even. Talking about it, though, does it, it, it notches it up just a little bit. Yeah. I feel like that's the point. I think that's part of potentially Tony Scott's genius as a director, that these choices that were made augment the film in a way where it's like, there's much more questions. Wow, that was not the right way to say that. <laughs> much more questions. Many more questions that were raised that that people want to ask, but is a, in a way that's, Good, because I feel like if they were spoon-fed to us, I wouldn't have liked it as much. I feel like the mystery of the film, which coupled with the mysterious gothic-style production design of this film, I feel like if they were just giving us everything, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been as good. Like they gave the they gave the girly gays like a lot, which is awesome, and especially in 1983, but. I still feel like if they were spoon feeding us information instead of just doing that classic, you know, show don't tell kind of aspect that is prominent in cinema, I feel like this film wouldn't have been as good as it. I feel like it is in my head right now. Yeah, same. Ditto. Agree. I'm waiting to pitch the uh uh what was it? What did you call it? Much more, I much more questions. The much more questions. Much more questions. We're pitching AMC. Uh, much mm. more question game show. <laughs> Coming to you by ABC Family. Uh, not ABC Family. Let's give it to like. It, it comes on right IFC. after. Who's, no, it comes on right after. Whose line is it anyway? Oh my god! I'm showing my age. Oh my god! <laughs> not whose line? I love whose line. Wayne, I mean, no, who? I'm not saying anything negative about whose line. Wayne Brady, I do, will you have my baby? I do agree that you just showed your age there, sir. Mm-hmm. You old fogey. <laughs> Final thoughts. What would you rate it? 
Oh, I see how he's doing it now. He's like, all right, I'm mad now. Let's go straight into the final thoughts. Yeah, because I, I want you out of my house. No, he doesn't. He no. doesn't want me out of here. No, we're going to hug after this. Oh, yeah. We're going to hug it out. Um, My final thoughts, I feel like is when it comes to the stuff that I know I like in... Honestly, yeah, it's horror. This film is horror, but it's like... It's the best kind of horror. Like, very atmospheric. Um, blends so many different aspects of different genres. And puts it against a horror background. Ah, I love it. Like, I really, 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 really do like this. Like, the way the film looks. Like, even with the some of the flaws in the storytelling... The acting and the way that the edits are made, along with, the, I feel like, one of the most beautiful, beautiful sex scenes I've ever seen in a film in a long time. I really do feel like this film, as influential as it is, deserves to be watched at least once or twice. Like, this is, I feel like this is probably one of my favorite Susan Sarandon roles Ooh. ever. And I've seen a good bit of Susan Sarandon. <laughs> Even Janet? Even, I think this tops Janet. Wow. Like, in my top three Susan Sarandon roles, there's there's Sarah, there's Janet, and there is Thelma. Like, those are my top three roles. And good choices. Good choices. So I really do like this. Um, for David Bowie... Yet another great notch in his belt of acting. May he rest in peace as well. He's lived a great life. Um, with Catherine Deneuve, this makes me want to watch more of what she has to offer as an actress because this is this being my second movie, she was a great villain, a very captivating, just stunning, stunning visuals. So I am going to give this a... For, mm, no, actually. You know, I'm going to give this my coveted 5 out of 5. Shit. I'm going to, even with the flaws, I'm going to give it a 5 out of 5. I will definitely watch this again. If anything else, just to get lost in the film. And... <laughs> like... Damn. <laughs> I mean, you can't get better of a review than... I uh, it's just I get lost. I I got <laughs> lost in this film and I really liked it. Like even with the confusing ending, with the theories that we set in place, it just it took it there. It took it over the threshold. So I'm gonna give it a five. Five. Um, yeah, I really liked this film. Uh, I thought it was extremely artsy, uh, but in a good way. I really really enjoyed that. I also really like. I always like it when vampire stories. Uh, focus on the tragedy of being a vampire. Uh, one of my favorite films that we watched on this show actually was A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Mm -hmm. And the tragic nature of uh, what John and uh, Miriam's subsequent uh, lovers had to go through reminded me of that torture of being a vampire. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as you did. However, I it's clearly a classic. It's an amazing film, well-directed, well-acted. Uh, again, if you like Jalo films without color, I, I hate to say it like that because that's like the whole identity of Jalo is, is the bright, vibrant colors. 
it feels like those type of movies just with your muted grays, blues, and, and dark shadows. Um, it's a really good film. I'd give it three and a half. Okay, respectable, respectable. Three and a half. I, I think, like... I think there's just so many different things about this film that did take it over the edge for me. And I respect that fact that you like, yeah, it's all three and a five. Cause originally I was expecting that. Yeah. Well, I was expecting for me at least the three and a half. Yeah. It's just like, even though you could see the merits of it, technically, I didn't have a lot of fun watching it. Um, it I don't, I don't think it's a fun movie to watch. It's not like a popcorn flick um, but it is something that I feel like if you want to get into filmmaking and you want to find like your own unique style, this would be a film to put on to see a different kind of filmmaking. Uh, again, it, it's montage filmmaking almost. Breakneck fucking editing. <laughs> I am going to say that I did in ultimately have fun watching this, but I don't think... I don't think I have to have fun in order to like very, like to truly truly just enjoy a film especially when there is a message that you think is trying to be portrayed in this film. I don't think there's that much of much of a message, but there's a great story that yeah. is told in this film and I think Tony Scott and everyone involved did a great job of telling that sad story and as much as this film I don't I haven't really heard much about this film in my circles. It deserves to get talked about more. Yeah. Well, this is also your first time watching it. This is like my third time seeing it. So I think that has to do with my rating a little bit. That makes sense. I feel sense. like if I if it was the first time I watched it, it'd be a little bit higher. But um yeah, I'm still I'm still sticking with my three and a half. Fair, fair. So, All right. Yeah. That was Tony Scott's The Hunger. Woo! So this is the fourth film we watched this Pride Month. Mm-hmm. So I know we have one more film to watch. And what is that one? That one is actually a recent one. It is a 2019 film. It is Bit, directed by Brad Michael Elmore. (laughs) All right. So it feels like out of all the films that we watch, two of them have like these like these names and i'm like why do you have three names why do you want to go by these three names in your films as a director why do you want that on your billing i'm happy that we're getting more sapphic work because most of the films we watch were very masculine very just like male-esque kind of filmmaking and while I'm happy to see more sapphic work, I'm try- I'm wondering how much of the male gaze is prevalent, like prevalent in this these next film because this film had a decent bit of male gazing going along, even if even though it's a very sapphic, uh, very like uh, WLW kind of film. Yeah, um, it was it was more tame than I when I originally saw The Hunger. I was because. I, I knew of it that it was the vampire movie with David Bowie and the Susan Sarandon lesbian scene. That's literally the things that, that that's when you hear the hunger, that's probably the two things you're going to hear. Mm. Um, so I'm picturing like, oh, fuck, night, early 1980s lesbian sex scene in a film. It, it's going to be overplayed. It's actually sensual. It was, I, very it was, sensual. It was very artsy. 
Um, so yes, there was some male gaze in this, but it, it was tamed mm-hmm. for um, what it could have been. <laughs> it's very sensual in a way that I thought Spiral's love scene was very sensual. Yeah, well, Spiral didn't really have a love scene per se, but they had they, they had a lot of they loved mo- each other. They had a lot of loving moments, and I that was one of the few things I did appreciate about Spiral is the 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 relationship between the two lead characters. It, it felt genuine and it felt realistic. Um, that's the one thing I hate in a movie is when it just it's your stereotypical gaze. Yay! I, I fucking hate that shit. I can't stand it. Just just write a character and then make him gay. Don't don't write a gay character. <laughs> I'm excited to see what Bit has to offer when it comes to I think this one has a trans yes, um, um lead character, which I think is gonna be really cool. Yeah, so essentially a trans teenage girl on summer vacation in LA fights to survive after she falls in for four queer feminist vampires who try to rid the city's streets of predatory men. Oh, I'm definitely interested now. Yeah, it's got like a whole, like, this film is essentially the agenda film, but I'm here for it. Huh. It feels like, I'm excited for it. It's like trans lost boy. I'm excited. Oh, I, I. (laughs) I'm excited for you because you said Lost Boys. Yes, sir. Um, so, yeah, join us next week because we will be reviewing Bit. And after that, we're moving on to a new month. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> We've been doing this for too long. It's <laughs> been, this is the sixth, this will be, like, this is the sixth month. And we've been doing this since October. We're almost been doing this for, like, nine months. And holy crap. <laughs> it's been it's been awesome. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. It has. And I'm excited to see what else we uh, these horror films have to offer when it comes to these themes. So with Bit, oh, I'm excited for this one. And I cannot wait to see what the writing's going to be at the end of the month. Yeah. For that. See how, how we stack these up against each other. Yeah. I'm excited. So yeah, watch Bit, prepare for next week, uh, and join us next week as we will be reviewing it. Until then, you should totally check out more of our playlists. And if you like this video, hit that like button, hit the bell notification, and subscribe before you hit the bell notification because you won't fucking see the bell unless you hit subscribe. I found that out the hard way. Oh, wow. Today I learned. And of course, <laughs> follow us on all of our social media. <laughs> of course, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of the, the big ones, including Letterboxd as well because I... I'm, I'm I'm becoming a letterbox stand and I kind of hate it. I love letterbox. It's it's the only social media that matters. <laughs> and I don't know, TikTok's kind of funny. I I like, I like the talks of the tick. Same. So, I know I'm kind of I'm I'm still trying to work things out since we're now doing video to uh try to make it to where we can do more TikToks and that I'm excited for that too. So, yeah. Also, we'll have this in audio form if you like to listen more than look. So we also are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. Yeah, that's that's you, Stitcher. That is you. Stitcher, and I think SiriusXM, too, do because of Stitcher. Yeah. We're on the serious accent. Oh, we're an old people radio. I love it. <laughs> I, I don't know. Don't at me, but I think we 
we kind of like had that way in now. So um, I think that's really cool now. Yeah, reaching the old folks. Yeah, so also <laughs> just comment on our pages, comment on the video, tell us what you think, and yeah, so keep it going, please. Uh-huh, and until next time, I have been Heath. And I have been Jay. And you've been listening to Host, Host of, of Horrors. Bye. Bye.